Hello, and welcome to the Learn It podcast, a weekly conversation with global education leaders for people who are passionate about the future of learning. Our aim, to introduce you to changemakers who are reimagining what students need to know, how they will learn it, and ways technology can help, or not. In our first series, we're looking at how to reopen education settings in the wake of COVID-19, including how to close equity gaps and prepare students with the mindsets and skills to thrive in what is proving to be a very uncertain world. I'm your host, education reporter Jenny Anderson. Head over to learnit.world to join the community or to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Our guest today is Pia Pakarinen, Deputy Mayor of Education for Helsinki. Finland is, of course, an educational darling, a system where it is more selective to become a teacher than it is a doctor, where there's little homework and barely any high-stakes testing, and yet students still do well in international tests of reading, science, and math. It is a system that values equity, allowing disadvantaged children the same or better opportunities for education as their wealthier peers. Today, we speak about how Finland's education system fared during coronavirus. Overall, Finland was not hard hit. It is about the size of Colorado in the United States, but Colorado had five times more cases and more than five times more deaths. Schools were given two days notice to shut and closed on March 18th. We speak today about how Finland did remote learning, what it learned through its extensive data collection from students, teachers, and parents, and why the system might develop remote learning permanently for those who want it. 79% of the first to third graders said that they had been in contact with their teacher every day and 52% of the uh, fourth to ninth graders. So there has been quite a good contact with the teachers. Unlike many of my conversations with leaders, which have focused on how COVID-19 has exposed deep weaknesses and inequities in the system, Finland seems to be the odd example of a country where teachers had the tools and training to respond, parents felt equipped to help their children learn, and kids fared fairly well. In other words, Finland is a distinct outlier. Pia, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Tell us how Finland fared in coronavirus. Yeah, well, it, it has been an interesting spring and uh, a lot has happened. We only had two days to prepare everything for the uh, uh, distance learning. And uh, of course, this wouldn't have been possible if we hadn't have had a very good uh, infrastructure at school. So we had both uh, hardware and software. And also the most of the teachers were quite capable of, uh, of using the uh, distance uh, learning material and uh, different kind of digital uh, environments in their teaching. Then uh, this was uh, uh, approximately two months that the kids were in in distance learning and then we had two weeks before the sp spring term terminated it is uh, as usually at the end of may already in finland so two months distance learning two weeks uh, normal learning at schools and then uh, then break for summer. And um, of course, there has been differences in, in different schools and teachers. Uh, not all schools, not all teachers were so well prepared for this kind of uh, rapid change. Uh, but all in all, it has gone very well. We have had surveys for the uh, for the also, also for the teachers, but mainly for the parents and and uh, kids themselves 
and more than half of the parents were the, of the opinion that their child uh, could do the homework independently. Of course, for the first graders and very small uh, pupils, it was more difficult and the parents had to, to help more. But also, uh, one exception for this rule of, of this recommendation of, of uh, uh, children uh, being left uh, at home was that uh, for the uh, one to third graders, uh, it was also possible for them to come to schools. And um, especially for the kids uh, whose parents are working in critical activities of the society. So uh, about 20% of the kids came to school anyway, from one to third graders. And um, also um, the teachers did invite some of the kids to come, come to school if they noticed some kind of... Uh, problems with the kids so that they didn't attend to this uh, distance learning, etc. But all in all, uh, the parents were quite uh, happy, most, most of them. 30% uh, held that their child could not do the homework without their help. And uh, almost 70% uh, of the parents said that they had helped their children daily at their homework, more or less. So, of course, it was also an opportunity for them and very many were pleased that they could see what their children are doing at school because very many parents also stayed at home and worked remotely. Let me just ask a couple of follow-up questions. So, critical workers, children, I think, were able to go to school in most countries. But you're saying that on top of that, teachers were able to identify those kids who were struggling in the home learning setting. And even if their parents weren't critical workers, they could bring them in? Uh, they were invited like one by one if they noticed that there are some some problems. Of course, uh, children who had previously problems, who didn't kind of show up regularly at schools, it's obvious that their pr problems uh, are not solved with the distance learning. Uh, on the contrary, it's more easier for them to stay stay out of school and uh, not to attend the the remote classes but uh, these where every child uh, was contacted or their parents were contacted and uh, it was possible for them uh, to come to school and also all the all the children who had uh, decision decisions concerning special support, as well as the students who were enrolled in extended compulsory education, were able to attend the school all time. So uh, those children who had been diagnosed having uh, serious problems in learning, they had all the time the possibility to come to school every day. And do you get the sense that they took advantage of that? Yes, they did. Yes, quite well. That, that's yeah. so interesting because I've heard from so many people that, I mean, those kids that require that intensive time mm. when they ended up at home, parents just effectively couldn't work because mm. they really needed to. So I haven't heard of a system that allowed those kids to come in. Now that's just first through third grade for special um, education needs children or that was everybody? Everybody, yeah. What else did you learn from talking to parents about this period? Well, what was discussed a lot uh, on basis of the survey that we made for the kids themselves was that, uh, well, 67% uh, 
uh, the first to third graders said that they are very willing to come back to school. But uh, there were some uh, who said that uh, they would not be like uh, would not like to come back to school and it was because there was uh, less bullying of course bullying can also happen uh, via internet but still uh, uh, for some kids uh, they felt more safe when not being at school and that uh, opened a discussion in in finland about uh, if we should have uh, for some kids remote teaching permanently but uh, of course we came to the end that uh, of course uh, one of the most important uh, things that we learn at school is how to get along with other people and that would be uh, a really wrong message for those who bully. Some kids also uh, could concentrate better at home when working remotely and that is also also interesting. So I think what we could learn from this is that uh, there may be good to kind of alternate the methods that we use in in teaching because it may be that for some kids it, it may be more efficient to learn remotely and uh, be quiet having headphones on and and uh, really being able to concentrate but for most kids uh, they they think that it's it's better to learn at school and and to be with teacher to have someone that you can uh, anytime ask something. Although uh, they said that, uh, well, 79% of the first to third graders said that they had been in contact with their teacher every day, and 52% of the uh, fourth to nine graders, not only having a screen and contact there, but also personal contacts, just person to person. But that was necessary during this period because some kids also felt quite lonely. Not everyone had parents at home. And also this was something that the teachers asked from the kids if they have uh, have support from uh, their parents or if they are alone. And So you asked early on children what kind of supports you have and then they could better target those who didn't have the support. Um, let me just go back to one figure you cited. You said 75% of parents um, said that their children could do their work independently. Were you surprised that it was so high? Is that something that your system tries to intentionally build up? Yes, in a way. Well, we in Finland uh, suppose the learning to happen at schools and we don't have so much homework for the kids. So that's that's one feature of the, the Finnish system that uh, we don't normally expect the parents to do much at home with their kids. So I think that in, in that way, it's not a surprise. We expect that learning happens at school with the teacher. And then we at these circumstances where you can't really uh, have so much help from the teacher, the children uh, should be cap capable of uh, kind of learning by themselves. But of course, we know that that's, a <laughs> uh, that's not a reality. And that's why we wanted to contact everyone. Of course, these children had already been at school 10 months before this break happened. So uh, teachers already knew the 
the pupils quite well and uh, could kind of expect uh, who of those would have uh, problems in, in being uh, independent learners and uh, could contact them more frequently. That's very interesting, though. If, you, if you're not used to having homework, in some ways, I would expect the situation would have been significantly harder, right? Because it's not, a, it's not necessarily a skill that you've built up, this kind of going home and being on your own and not having the teacher and your peers sort of around you all the time. Well, in the best circumstances, the teacher was there on the screen, but it was the possibility of, uh, to ask questions. And uh, in some cases, it was very similar to normal circumstances. Talk about reopening. You said you're preparing for alternating distance learning and normal learning. What will that look like? Well, that's what we are preparing now. Uh, there's a law in, in the uh, parliament in, in Finland, uh, which will enable us to alternate uh, according to the needs if the coronavirus is going to spread again, we need more more space at schools in order to have all these uh, uh, security uh, distances. And uh, that will mean that uh, there will be, for instance, like seventh graders are at school, but then eighth graders are not uh, for a week or two, and then we change. I think the principle will be that uh, the first graders we would like to keep at school more. Of course, for the youngest, it is uh, toughest to try to learn at, at home. And then for the older older pupils and students, it will be easier to be more, uh, more independent in their studies. But uh, we aim uh, not to have two prolonged periods of distance uh, learning or distance teaching for any group. So they change and, uh, but it, it will be, if, if you can prepare beforehand uh, how many weeks you will have this kind of uh, uh, learning, then it's much easier to kind of prepare suitable material for the kids to, to work with when we, they are at home. Of course, we hope to be able to return to normal, but, but we are also preparing that just in case if, if the virus is going to spread. And is the, is the rule one or two meters in terms of social distancing in Finland? Yes, yes. Uh, I think it's one and a half. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, right down the yeah. right down the middle. Yeah. Um, just talk a little bit about so uh, teachers in Finland are famous for their collaboration and their autonomy. The system affords them this, encourages it. Did you see that play out? Well, yes, uh, that's a good uh, good question because cooperation uh, was a very important, uh, uh, especially for those teachers who hadn't uh, had so much much in, in experience with uh, digital material. Uh, at every school, we have uh, one or a few. Uh, teachers who are specialized in, in digital learning. And uh, that was very important that everyone had very near someone who would help them with in preparing their classes digitally. Will that expand? Is, is one of the learnings from this moment that that team inside every school should be a little bit bigger? Yes, and I also uh, I also see that they are more capable now. So so there are more uh, more teachers who uh, are very familiar with uh, teaching of this sort, and and very many say also that they will use these kinds of GC methods later at any case. So they as one way of teaching, just because we noticed that for some kids it is even easier 
to learn these ways. I'd love to ask about um, phenomena-based learning. Can you just explain to listeners what phenomena-based learning is so they understand it? Well, because normally and, and uh, historically we have had different kinds. We have history, we have mathematics, we have languages, etc. Et but this, uh, within this phenomenon-based learning, it's, it's rather that we take some big subject like climate change for which we uh, kind of work from different angles. So uh, uh, if we talk, for instance, about climate change, it could be something that we have a mathematics, uh, something counting for different uh, fields in, in that respect of course then we have uh, biology we have geography we have chemistry we have physics anything the kids are encouraged to uh, kind of uh, finding uh, finding information on their own how did that fare in remote learning well actually it, it has been uh, phenomenal learning has has really been a good good one at, at this period of time because uh, uh, also the teachers gave some um, tasks for the kids to do at home uh, which were very imaginary <laughs> at some time so tasks like uh, well baking and uh, cleaning the oven and with these they had uh, kind of combined different uh, subjects to cover when doing these ex exercises or tasks. I know that Finland doesn't put a lot of stock in high stakes exams but did you have exams that had to be rescheduled and how did you handle those? Nothing unnormal because uh, while we had this uh, coronavirus break uh, there had all already been 10 months of school so uh, the uh, the teachers more or less already knew uh, a lot about because we we do this kind of testing uh, all the time it's continuous testing and uh, that also continued during this uh, corona break and if somebody was in a in a position that uh, his or her degrees would have gone down. They had a possibility during these two weeks that they were at school after the break to have a test with their, their teacher. That's a very interesting point. There's a lot of talk internationally about COVID slide, worrying about how far kids have fallen behind. If you've been testing all along and you've continued testing through this period, do you have a sense at this point whether there has been a COVID slide or whether there may be? Well, uh, during uh, these two weeks that the kids were back to school uh, before the uh, summer summer vacation, uh, the purpose was exactly to find out if there were any special needs uh, for, for some special education or support. And uh, that's what they got for during these two weeks. But also uh, when we... Uh, uh, start again in in uh, August. There will be more support given, so we have extra resources. For uh, of course, every uh, every autumn we begin with rehearsal and brushing up what was learned in spring anyway. But also uh, the kids are giving the opportunity to have more support. We have extra resource. Do you mean extra financing? Yes, extra, extra financing from the Finnish government. But we have extra teachers available everywhere. So, so more, more uh, hours to be put for these kids' needs. 
So you've secured financing to pay teachers so that they will put in more hours to help the kids who need it. And when they come back in the fall, you'll assess where they are and anybody who needs more help will get that help. Exactly. What are you thinking about for the fall in terms of trying to assess and help kids with the anxiety they might be feeling around all of these changes? We ask uh, the kids about how they feel, if they feel secure. And of course, uh, well, as adults are speaking so much about about uh, coronavirus, it cannot not uh, affect the children at the same time. For the uh, uh, like uh, older students, what they they had experienced was that they uh, they had kind of uh, or some of them had lost their rhythm. So they kind of tended to stay up more late, play more with their games and, and etc. So so that was one of the uh, our findings. We asked about if they are uh, frightened or if they are scared by the corona, and uh, half of the first to third graders said that they are not scared at all. Forty uh, percent said that they are scared sometimes. And uh, one-tenth said that they are continuously or very often scared about corona. And from the fourth to ninth graders, uh, 38% said that they are a little bit uh, concerned. And uh, 7% was very concerned about this corona status in their families. So uh, that that was of course the anxiety of, of people uh, and, and the parents are shown also then uh, we also realized that not every child is quite happy in their uh, families but uh, what we realized or what we we uh, we could see from these surveys is that the these are very uh, the, the results are very same as in our normal surveys so it doesn't seem that this distance learning period would have uh, significantly affected these uh, these results because these percentages are very normal when we make surveys like this with the Finnish Finnish children. So it's it's steady. So you're not planning anything different. I mean, you would always be paying attention to those mm. kids. So you're not kind of planning any sort of special mental health provision when you go back to schools. Well, our school's uh, welfare group has been very active all this period. So they have been, since they already knew most of the kids who had problems beforehand, so they, they had extra care for those. But of course, when we uh, now uh, resume the school in uh, August, we have to keep an eye on that. I think there are a lot of systems around the world that are saying, how can we use this opportunity to build back better? Finland created what is considered one of the world's best education systems out of a crisis. Can you tell us a little bit about that and perhaps whether Finland is also thinking that this can be a moment for changing things? We have this so software, hardware, and also knowledge in how to use uh, digitalization in, in our education. So I think that uh, these have been a very good kind of basis basis for also situations like this. And um, I think we just have to continue on the same way in order to make this better. And also this because we uh, we kind of uh, recognize these different types of uh, or different styles of learning 
how we can better serve them in our education so that every, everyone gets a chance just according to his or her uh, best capabilities of learning that we can help that. And I think what we have learned now is that digitalization really can be a tool for that. And just one more thing, because I think it is a factor that distinguishes your system. How much of a priority in the system is equity versus excellence? I, I think that uh, equity is very important because uh, it's it's always it's it's quite easy to have one very good school, and it's much uh, more difficult task to have. Uh, every school to be a good school and i think that our our like uh, aim has always been the latter that we have every school as a very good school and do you feel like this moment highlighted that in other words you're not expecting to see these massive gaps when you go back because it was equitable going in Mm, exactly that's what i think it sounds to me like you're saying it's kind of reinforced what's working versus an opportunity to change things dramatically. Yeah, I would say so. Of course, we still need uh, surveys to make both to parents, children and teachers alike so so that we can uh, get the, the best information there is uh, from this period. And uh, also, it will be interesting to see in, in the autumn how everything starts again and, and how uh, we have to, of course, see how the teachers see the situation if there has been some dramatic changes uh, they are experienced and know if there's something that we should worry about but of course you said about this mental health and uh, and also uh, secure security feelings of the kids some those kinds of things that we have to look after just how how often do you generally survey parents is that something you always do or you just did in coronavirus? That's normal. Uh, that's kind of a customer satisfaction <laughs> service that we, we do for, for uh, every, I think, at least once a year, if not twice. And, and then smaller, uh, like some specific items that we want to know more, more of. So that's, that happens a lot. That's very interesting because that's not data that's very easy to come by. In a, in a lot of other countries. So that's interesting that you have a stock of it because that means that now when you have that data, you can compare it to your baseline because <laughs> you were asking these questions before. And it sounds like you're saying parents were actually quite happy with what they got. Yeah, and I think that very many parents said that they, they, were, uh, they were kind of astonished to see what really happens. Uh, they uh, very many said that they, they value the teachers even more than before, that now that they, they know how it happened. Because I think that ins instinctively, very many people say that they could like uh, teach their child uh, even themselves. But now they really see so that it's there is some magic happening. Just a fun personal question. Was there a show that you watched uh, during lockdown that you particularly enjoyed on TV? Any show. Well, it was Le Bureau. <laughs> Oh, you, yes. Do, do, do yeah. you know Le Bureau? That was something that I really, really loved. <laughs> Thank you, Pia. I appreciate your time. I appreciate yours. Thank you very much. This conversation made me reflect on a few things. One is that when you build an equitable system, it performs well in a crisis. Teachers knew what students needed extra help, and the system responded. 
most extraordinarily by allowing kids in grades one to three who needed special help to just come back to school and get it. I was very impressed with Helsinki's use of data. PIA's ministry is collecting information from teachers, students, and parents and responding to it. His evidence by the conversation the city had about bullying in light of reports from a small share of kids who said they preferred learning from home because there were no bullies. Finally, I was impressed that the system will take what it learned, which is that a share of kids prefer learning remotely and perhaps build that as a permanent feature. I imagine it will prompt a lot of debate, but I admire the willingness to have the conversation. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'll see you next week. We'll link to the items mentioned in today's podcast in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share it. And you can find out more about our community of global education leaders and upcoming meetups by joining our mailing list at learnit.world. In the meantime, stay safe, stay curious, and see you next week.